Welcome to the Lampoon Podcast. This is brought to you by our partners at Above and Bold Clothing. Go and check them out at, at Above and Bold on any of the social medias or over at their website. And look at all their cutting designs, clothing, and I'm too old to really be talking about fashion. But they sponsor us, so it's good. Coming up, we have uh, on the Lampoon podcast, Glenn Braley, very intelligent, funny, and dark comedian who tells one of my favourite jokes at the end of the podcast. You have to stick around for it, but it is brilliant and dark. Hope you enjoy. Evening. Hello, buddy. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, coming through loud and clear, man. Perfect, perfect. How you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad. I've uh, been home for a couple of hours, so having a bit of a chill out. Nice. Are you, um, is this home from like the boring corporate day job? Yes, yeah, boring corporate day job that's continued all the way through lockdown, which is nice because I'm classed as a key worker because I work in the financial sector. Oh, excellent. That's yeah. Or would and, you have uh, rather had a, a few months furlough? I would have loved it, but I think I probably would have, uh, you know, wanked myself raw after the first couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten to that point now, I'll be honest, where, like, wanking's lost its allure. I'm a bit like, <laughs> sort of, you know, the drug druggies always chasing that high. I sort of got to that point. I'm like, I don't know what else I can do. There's, there's not a lot else I can shove inside myself or shove myself inside. It's really getting boring now. No yeah, thing. if you're not careful, you're going to end up looking for images in the dark web or trying to visit Epstein's Island. Yeah, exactly. I'm already at that point where I'm like, well, I can kind of understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Worrying. Uh, even saying that out loud just felt so bad, but funny. You know, that is the first step, isn't it? Admitting that there's <laughs> you're on the border of a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I never think there's a problem with like, you know, the line and pushing things and being a bit dark because the way I look at it is despite what all of the conspiracy tinfoil hat wearing fuck knuckles on the Internet are saying, you know, it is a globe. So you can go as far past the line as you like. And the further and further you go away from it, the closer you come back to being on the right side of it. again. Nice. I like it. Yeah, I'm going to start using that to justify my future behavior. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, uh, it normally goes down pretty well, that one, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, that and, uh, well, Glenn said it's okay. That yeah. <laughs> it, it's nice to have that disclaimer. Um, I normally lead into my routines by saying that my sense of humour is a lot like a solar eclipse. It will take you a little while to understand what's happening, but then everything gets very dark very quickly. <laughs> I was going to say, um, we've shared the bill once down at the Meet and Sip in Bournemouth. I don't know if you can remember it. Um, oh yeah, and I am still like a massive fan of your jelly baby joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Now, has that was that an exist? Was that quite a new joke then, or was that an existing joke that's just been in your repertoire for a while? Uh, it's one of the ones that I told on my first uh, first gig, actually. Um, really, it was, it was quite an epic performance. Um, I turned up, and it was at Chaplin's in Bournemouth. And basically, I got it by nagging Carl relentlessly for about five months until he decided that he was going to put on an amateur show. Um, so I, I went on 
uh, I was meant to be third on. And I'd been drinking for about two hours by the time I arrived at Chaplin's, but trying to maintain <laughs> some sort of level of sense. Uh, and he went, he came over and went, all right, buddy, how you doing? Nerves still all right? I went, yeah, yeah, really looking forward to it. And he went, good, because you're actually on second because I've had a dropout. I was like, nah, good. You know, it's nice that I wasn't <laughs> shitting it at that point because that would have sent me through the roof. Um, and I, I went on to do a 10-minute set and I came off at 23 minutes. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, um, you know, I'd, I'd badgered everybody that I knew into coming down to see me. So I had about three quarters of the room were all my friends. And I just I had no idea how long I was going for. I was just reading through everything that I had because people were just lapping it up. And the Jelly Babies joke was one of the ones towards the end of the set there. So good. And um, so Chaplin's, that's not a venue I'm familiar with. And you mentioned Charlie. Who's that Charlie who? Oh, no. So um, it's Carl. Carl is the owner. Well, sorry, not the owner. He's the manager of Chaplin's, which is a venue in Boscombe. And they used to do a regular comedy night on the first Tuesday of the month. Um, And, you know, I'd I'd started sort of going along to see them uh, before I performed. But, you know, it's always a really nice night and just looking forward for him opening up soon. because I think we're probably going to have some massive comedy blowout when he does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It sounds, I think there's a few people waiting for this, waiting for the big comedy blowout. So how long ago is that, that first performance then? Um, just coming up to three years, actually. It was 18th of August, three years ago that I did it. Um, and, you know, it's comedy is something that I've always loved from, from my teenage years. And I've always wanted to perform. I did like an audition tape when I was at university and I got a, a call to come down and, and go on the show but because I've been in university I basically pissed all of my money away and couldn't afford the train ticket so I never took it up at that point oh okay and it's something that's always been in the back of my mind like I love telling jokes I've got no concept of you know socially respectable boundaries I've I've got like a file on my phone of things that I've said that I should have been fired for (laughs) my work have got a file on me that I should have been fired for and (laughs) still getting away with it yeah, you see, I keep my own files just because it really translates well to the stage. <laughs> like I had, uh, I had a girl in my team. Uh, I'm trying. I'm no good at coming up with fake names. We call her Betty. Um, Betty was a Chinese girl, and we. She's she. She was quite timid when she first joined the team, but by the time this story takes place, she's been there a while, and she was kind of given as good as she gets. And one day, one of our big bosses came down and said, oh, you know, we'll take you all out. You guys can go for a little welfare walk. So we went out for a walk around Pool Park, um, stopped off to get some ice creams. And I was sort of outside chatting away to Betty. uh, And I said, oh, have you ever noticed on a day like this, almost everybody looks Chinese because it was blinding sunshine. Are you saying that I've got slanty eggs? No, you say that I've got slitty eyes. And I went, no, 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 no. I would never say that. I'm just pointing out that everybody else has. <laughs> <laughs> Outrageous stuff. Well, no, it's, it's, uh, I, I was amazed when I, I started at work. You know, I thought I, I spent seven years running bars. I spent seven years working as a security guard. And I, to transition into, you know, like office work, for finance, I was really worried that I was going to end up getting myself fired within the first week, but it's uh, still going well. Yeah, no, I um, yeah, I can sympathise with that. I always worked. I worked at um, SO 
oil refinery when I finished school. Uh, I always worked on building sites with my old man before that, and then was a mechanical engineer at Esso, so worked for all the engineers and the greasy, oily, like, riggers and shit like that. Um, and then got into sales at, like, 23, 24. Um, and then just was, yeah, getting into any sort of corporate world when you've come off a building site or come off a, like, um, an oil refiner or anything where people are, I don't know, just, like, super PC and dead nice to each other and nobody says no to anything. Um, I always found, sort of, I kind of stick out a little bit. And when people get all upset, about their like, oh, this is just too much work. I've been asked to phone like five people in the next hour. I'm like, fuck off, mate. Could be carrying bricks out in the fucking freezing cold. Just get on with it. I don't understand why you're such a dick. And then it's like, uh, Craig called me a dick. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Sorry, what I actually meant was you're a massive cunt. That's yes. much more like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'm putting the point home. Um, you're a fucking arsehole. But then there's there are people that, and you do see them. You can see the people that have had some sort of life experience outside of the corporate world and they don't quite fit in the suit so well. It doesn't quite sort of stand in that corporate world. I mean, what's it like in finance? Do you get many of those? Yeah. I mean, my, my department's pretty interesting because we do a lot of um, sort of non-standard work. We're like basically kind of we're anticipatory complaints so we have a look into like all the data behind what's going on and we get in touch with people when we think there's a problem coming up um like okay. we've done work around like the businesses that are going bust at the moment we're going out to people that bank oh shit i've narrowed it down to that uh no <laughs> <laughs> we're going out to customers that work for those companies that are going bust yeah. um uh, so it's it, there's quite a lot of people in there that are pretty pretty eccentric quite touchy-feely quite emotional people so it's not so much the the button-down suits and it's all about the bottom line which is nice and i think has probably saved me quite a few times like uh we've we had a new operations manager come in a little while ago and i do like to tweak her a little bit by telling her the things that i say to my team and quite often she ends up the conversation by going, I swear to God, if I get a grievance about you, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I always say, look, it's never going to happen because I know how to talk to people and I can I can get away with saying pretty much anything because it's all about how you say it. Isn't it? And that's that's what you learn from doing comedy. You yes. can call somebody, you know, as you said, you know, call them a massive dick to their face. And if you do it in the right way, they'll laugh along with you. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, there's certain ways you do it. And again, it works the other way. Don't it? There's certain ways you know you can say it when you just want them to fucking understand that you think they're a dick. But that anticipatory complaints department sounds amazing. Sounds like the minority report of the financial world. Yeah, it's, we're getting into that sort of stuff. Um, not to the point of predicting, you know, future crime. Uh, Tom Cruise <laughs> hasn't signed on with us Lots just yet. Three virgins in a swimming pool out back. Just a little yeah. Down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three virgins in the swimming pool out back. That sounds yeah, like some to... sort of trash that you'd read on holiday, isn't it? Yeah, we're back to Epstein's fucking island again, aren't we? We are. We are. Let's bounce on that topic pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've got to say, I did laugh when I found out that one of his associates was called Jizz Lane. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jizz Lane Maxwell. But, um... Yeah, I mean, all that's a fucking nightmare, isn't it? All these people that are starting to like get bumped off and shit now. That's going to be an interesting and a good topic. Although, I don't know, have you, have you done any of these outdoor gigs or anything yet? Have you come across any of these or online gigs? Have you done any of them? 
yeah, I did. Um, I did an online gig for Virtually Funny. Okay. Um, that was interesting. Um, you know, I, I said when I did my first gig, I was pretty relaxed going into it, largely due to the fact that I drank a ridiculous amount. Yeah. But like, I've I've had a background in drama and stuff through school, so I, I really like performing. It doesn't phase me. But before my first online gig, I was absolutely shitting myself. I felt like I was going to throw up. I was more nervous than I've like ever been because I was thinking, what's going to go wrong with it? Is the signal going to drop? Can I even get the connection on there? Yeah. You know, what if I don't unmute myself? And <laughs> yeah. uh, like, we were doing it through Discord, so it was it was relatively good. Like we had the the presenter on screen and the sound guy and somebody that was reading out the comments, and then the other comics were there. So I had people that I could look at and kind of see what they were doing. But the presenter's volume was a little bit high like on her output so it was echoing back through the mic so she just muted herself and i could see her like smiling when i was telling the jokes but i couldn't figure out if she was smiling in the way of this is funny or she was smiling in the way of this isn't the tape that he sent me what the fuck is this shit he's coming out with (laughs) (laughs) uh but I, i had some people watching it and they said it it came across well but you know, they were friends of mine. It wasn't just me randomly getting feedback from the audience. So I, I wasn't entirely sure on that one. Yeah, I found it. I haven't done it purely because I don't know. And I don't know how you approached it. But obviously, when you when you write jokes or you, you write your set, um, obviously, I've listened. Your set is got stories and it's jokes in between and stuff. And they're well structured. With mine, it's almost like a rambled anecdotal type story. Yeah. Um, and I learn, you know, what jokes work and stuff. And obviously you sort of, you have that gap, don't you, for a laugh. And, or you sort of put an expression or your, your body, you know, body language needs to be a certain way. So when you're doing it, if you're face to face into the camera, did you have an approach for, you know, for any of that mannerisms that you needed to get across? Or did you pause where you assumed laughter was happening behind the screen? Yeah, I, I kind of, I think I went a little bit towards what I did when I did that first first show was that I didn't allow enough time for laughter because right. I was I was concerned about getting the content out because I, the fatal mistake that I made was when I did the online performance, I did new material because I don't know what the fuck I thought I was going to get back in terms of reaction on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I had, it was all compounded. I had the, is the internet going to completely crap out on me? And I've only done this stuff once. And like the first time that I did it was the day that it all happened. Cause it was stuff about like my car breaking down and it's trying to make me kill myself. Yeah. And like all of this stuff about why my car is a piece of shit. Um, yeah. So I, I just went into it with that and I've, I really regret that decision because I think I got some of the timings wrong on it. And But I always think that I've done worse than I have. Like I want to watch back because I record all of my, all of my performances just because I want to see what I've done and you know, what, like you say, what's landed, what hasn't. And I'm too in yeah. the moment to think about, you know, unless it's like a massive laugh and I get a round of applause, I don't even register how the audience is reacting, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, when I watched the tape back from this one, it was it was all right. You know, I don't think I, I messed up my timing. I didn't fuck any of the punchlines, but I, I just didn't. It didn't feel right because it's not the same as when you're talking to people, is it? No, no, definitely not. And, and what are you like in terms of feeding off the crowd energy? Do you tend to, because what I've found, I mean, I've 
only really been doing the stand-up comedy since the start of October, and I've tried to throw a ton of gigs into there. But what I've found is I tend to make up stuff on the fly. If the audience is enjoying a particular joke, I seem to then come up with more information or, or something I can add that just kind of keep, you know, keeps that laughter going. But it's not maybe something I've written down. It just happens in the moment. Is that sort of, is that how you work? What's your process? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always little bits that sort of crop up to you, don't they? It all depends on how, well, it's, it's like how you are in yourself at that moment in the set, isn't it? Like if you're, whatever's running through your mind is random thoughts or things that you, you might have come up with. And, and how do you take the, you know, like those little improv moments and, and run with them? Sometimes you, you come up with little bits on, on the fly. Um but then again, you've got to go back to that testing, haven't you? When you know it works for that audience, add it into your subsequent jokes. Like the the stuff that I've done about the trip to Amsterdam, that originally was probably about half the length that it was, and there's just little bits and bobs that have come into it over the running it twenty times. Yeah, and and I think that's where you you really learn the value of your materials when you identify the jokes that you can uh, elongate, and then perhaps you can you, you can combine them in a different way with other things that you've done before. Like, and and again, in the first performance I did, my stuff about my divorce and the ex were quite sort of interchangeable. But now that's developed into a much longer set that's about, you know, every, well, not every, but a lot of the women that I've gone out with and how my life is and, you know, the things that you learn from dating. And it's mm. finding what ideas work and mixing up the way that you run your set. Sometimes run, put things in a different order and see what works for you. And when do you find you're best at writing because i've spoken to a few of the different comics now and everyone's got a different way of doing it some people just lock themselves away think of a topic and then write around it some people go personal obviously you've spoken about personal um experiences and things like that my own i am better at writing so i haven't written a lot during all of this covid lockdown situation um but what i i tend to write when something funny happens i write that down but then when i come off a gig and I'm buzzing and I'm feeling like amazing about myself I then spend the next two or three hours when I'm home taking all of these things that I've written down and then expanding those into stories and jokes because that's where I feel I'm at my best if you like when you've got that sort of peak energy and you yeah the serotonin's firing yeah yeah and, and I'm almost I'm quite you know, anybody that sort of knows me will say I'm quite an addictive type person. I kind of get this mm. buzz and, you know, I want to do it more, I want to do it loads. I'll keep going, keep going. You get very enthusiastic about it. So what's your, how's your process work? Well, I'm fairly sort of routine in some of the things that I do. Like the way just the world is at the moment, just firing up your, your Google suggested page feed in the morning. If you've got any new sites on there, you get so much stuff. I've had a company that developed a new non-slip surface for toilets. I thought, oh, that's a little bit interesting. You look into it. It turns out that, you know, the amount of research that they did to get it right was, and pun very much intended, it was anal. <laughs> they made, you know, if you're testing a toilet for non-slip for shit, you'd just use real shit, wouldn't you? But... They didn't to start off with. They went to some, I think it was a village in Africa where they got their local recipe for pretend shit. Why did they have a local recipe for pretend shit <laughs> in Africa? Surely they've got enough, like everywhere else, that's got people or animals. 
And they tested it with this stuff for, I don't know, two or three rounds of testing. And then they got three human volunteers who declined to be named. <laughs> I would love to have my name associated. Absolutely. I am the person that defeated the non-slip coatings one through yeah. nine. They had to make ten different nice. versions before yeah, they had something that could tackle my peanutty might. <laughs> <laughs> It's things like that, man. Um, another one that I would like absolutely order would be immense. <laughs> another thing I would absolutely, absolutely recommend to anybody that's trying to come up with inspiration is there's a game and it's across many platforms, but it's called the Jackbox. Okay. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. So basically, it's uh, it was on PlayStation, PC, Xbox, and it's called the Jackbox Party Pack. And in there, they've got like three or four different games that are basically cards against humanity, but you play it on your phone connected to the, the PS4. Like, right. There's one called Fibbage, where it comes up with uh, like a, a prompt that says, in 1997, a group of scientists discovered that by shining a blue light on rats, they could cause them to blank. And then you fill that blank. So. Excellent. In that particular example, uh, I chose Explode. And then basically all the other players vote for which one they think is right. And if they choose your one, then you get points. If they choose the right one, they get points. So somebody chose my option. And then I obviously just went, ha, 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 you dumb fuck. You seriously thought blue lights would make a rat explode. And then nobody got the right answer, but it came up and it, they found out that by shining blue lights on rats, you could cause them to get an erection. Amazing. Yeah. So that, that, then, that then led to the one about, you, you know, you lay out that fact that they altered the genes and by subjecting them to blue lights, it made them get a boner, which is brilliant. But can yeah. you imagine if you're driving home after work, because you're a little rat, you've got a little bottle of Chardonnay there for the, uh, the rat wife when you get home. Uh, you're driving along and all of a sudden you see behind you whoop, whoop, whoop. the blue yeah. lights are on the copper pulls you over and he walks up to your door and goes uh good evening sir do you know how fast you were going uh and sorry i'm i'm, I'm on a promise tonight officer i was just trying to get home to the missus would you kindly uh step out of your vehicle sir nope i don't think i'm really comfortable doing <laughs> that at the moment <laughs> Uh, and then the other one is Quiplash, which is pure cards against humanity. And it will give you a topic like, um, oh, I was playing it with my mate one time and he came out with the worst, the worst, most sick answer he could have thought of for this one. But it is absolutely brilliant. So it was the worst concept for a video game in four words. So he came up with repairing. <laughs> sorry, five words. Repairing the gas at Auschwitz. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that's Jackbox. Um, they're up to about five different volumes of it, but it's a really, really funny party game. And there's even one which is uh, you, you get to write like rhymes for robots to read out. So you'll put in, oh. it will give you like, give me a noun, give me this, give me that. And you, you put it in and then it will say, come up with a rhyme for this sentence. And it puts like four bars on the screen and you've got to come up with the next four bars. And that just gets ridiculous. If you've ever wanted to hear somebody that sounds like Stephen Hawking, read out any profanity that you can enter into the box, that is the way to do it. I've definitely wanted that all my life. I'm going to look into that. That's amazing.
I'm definitely going to start. I'm going to abuse that, I think. Yeah, it's, it's really good because it's it's not always like your answers to it that are the funny stuff, but it's the story behind it, particularly with that Fibbage one. You learn so much. And like, um, there's a podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish by the guys that do QI. Oh, I've you heard about it. Yeah. yeah. It is fantastic, mate. The stuff that you learn on that is... I've got like loads of material about animals and things that I've learned just by doing research. Like if you put in weird animal sex, that's going to come up with something that will get you a joke at the end of it. <laughs> Funnily enough, that's what I type in a Pornhub now. <laughs> that's what I've gotten to. You've been taking advantage of the free preview. Yeah. Is that still going or have they reduced it now that no, we can go out and bubble? Yeah, uh, you can still sign up, but um, yeah, the, the premium is no longer free, I don't think. But the... Um, I think I was talking to a female comedian. I can't remember if it was Tiz White um, or Vicky Delirious, but one of them where we were saying, it's at that point now where I just type in random words into the search bar in Pornhub now, then just try and get off to whatever comes up. <laughs> that sounds like a Vicky comment to me, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, she's got, she had the best story about, obviously, what she watched on Pornhub. It's just some bloke kicking the absolute shit out of a woman. She was so fascinated by it. And then she just climaxed and she was like, oh, maybe I like this. This Maybe this is the, this is my topic now. There is that danger, isn't it? That if, it, if at the moment of orgasm, you are watching something questionable. That's it. It says it programs your brain, doesn't it? So that's your mm. fetish, the thing you like. It's that heightened thing. So, um, yeah, I just think for me, it's just boredom now. I mean, like even talking to to women on dating apps and stuff like I've never used dating apps I've always liked to go out and are you single Glenn um I've recently started seeing someone but I put in an, a lot of time before that to the apps and I agree <laughs> with you there they're fucking soul destroying and what I think a lot of people don't realize is that you know for a start a lot of them are owned by the same company like OkCupid owns Tinder and Poff right and ultimately, their goal is to keep you using their services and ideally paying for premium. So then they're not out to get you into a relationship, really, are they? No. No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, you generally, I'm hoping that you don't meet your missus on these things, but you generally don't <laughs> meet the love of your life on these things. They're like, the people that are on there, aren't on there for I know some people are I guess on there for the right reasons I'm on there because I'm bored fucking senseless and I want to talk to somebody and I want to have a bit of flirting and just you know try there are some fucking yeah I think it a lot of it is dependent on like which which one you're on isn't it I think there are some that have a reputation for people that are more serious you've got Tinder is basically dial a fuck isn't it yeah. really? I mean, isn't it? Isn't it weird when you see people that you know on there as well? Yeah, yeah. And I've I've swiped on some of them and not not yeah. match. I'm like, you can't. I'm going to see you. I, I've done it as well. I've got to say, you go like, yeah, let's see whether you're up for it. And you, as soon as you hit it, and then nothing comes back, it's like, yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you've just got to go. It's perhaps they haven't. Seen, perhaps I've not got to the top of their pile yet. Yeah, but you know, the next time you see them, they're like. There he is, the poor sap. Yeah. And you're like, fuck you. It's like they just go bore out on you. No, 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 you'll never get this. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, and then you also have you do you know of Hinge? Have you heard of Hinge? Yeah, Hinge or Minge as I've heard it referred to. Yeah, exactly. 
And then, so like, it is, it, you're pitted against other men, obviously from a man's point of view, with the most attractive women that are on there. They must get tons of fucking swipes. Mm. So, you know, you have to try your luck because you've got to be in it to win it. So you're swiping them anyway. Now with Hinge, you've got to obviously put a little comment. And so my tactic has been to comment on their comments because they must all get fucking commented on their mm-hmm. bikini pictures from, you know, Marbella or wherever the fuck they are. And then, yeah, and then this is where autocorrect comes in handy because you try and oh. use a couple of you know long words <laughs> to like try and get more than two syllables in there. And obviously, I can't spell for shit, so I start to sort of spell the word as best I can. How are you to know it would end up in autoerotic asphyxiation coming up? <laughs> but this, and then it goes into so then you start to relax, and if the flirting starts kicking in, the sexting starts kicking in. You're not as careful about it, and then it's the dark side of autocorrect when you sort of going, oh, I can't wait for you to sit on my fave while I finger your ash and, you know, I'm going to come round, get you on your knees and just come all over your tots and all of that. Sort of, all of that terrible autocorrect comes in. So if that's helped me write a load of material. Yeah, I mean, just get involved in that. autocorrect is a, is a horrible thing. And I find nowadays there's so many different ways that your phone can fuck you over. Even if you, <laughs> you know, you don't subscribe to this whole covid tracking update meltdown shit that everyone's going on about online but it used to be simple didn't it like with the old phones the only way you could fuck up is if you phoned somebody or sent them a text yeah that was it but now you know like i've I've pocket dialed my old man at three in the morning because somehow i've managed to activate that yeah i've accidentally sent my best mate 150 thumbs up of various sizes in a Facebook Messenger conversation. <laughs> uh, but the, the crowning achievement for me was when I, I think I accidentally voice dictated an email to my boss whilst I was playing GTA. Oh, brilliant. And a lot of it is incoherent gibberish, but there's parts of it that sound like some sort of serial killer's note that they've left carved into the <laughs> chest of their victim. Yeah. Like there's a bit where it goes unlimited, unlimited, unlimited killing, unlimited, <laughs> unlimited, unlimited life. <laughs> Fetch the limo. No, look, pal, no milk. Loop de loop de loop. And luckily that one did get said, but it's just utter chaos now. I was really worried when I I left work for the first time and saw on my phone, it said, your normal commute, 17 minutes, traffic medium. And I'm thinking, okay, that's that's clever because it's obviously figured out the place that I go to every day for about seven hours is my place of work. And the place where I am for the other hours of the day is my home. And then it's deduced that that's my commute. So what it's basically done what it's done is it's told me that if it wants to fucking take me out, it can do it at any time. Yeah. So when Google becomes sentient, it doesn't even have to fucking get me at home because it can just take me out at a red light on the way. That's it. Just fuck it. That red light is going to be green when it ain't supposed to and you're going to go and someone's going to take you out. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking of like hover drones because I love Skynet and Terminator and all of that. But yeah, it could have been yeah. something mundane. it's doing that to everybody that's everybody in the world that's got a smartphone it knows everything about you so what the fuck difference does it make if there's a chip in the covid vaccine 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And also, it's going to get to the point now where it will be like, we know you're off to your dealers, Parks. Look, we know when you stop off on a Friday and a Saturday for this one place for 10 minutes, yep. that's where you're picking up your drugs. It's when it goes, bing, go we found six dealers in the area that are cheaper with better shit. <laughs> yeah, and it got better reviews. Yeah. What, what would the review site for dealers be called? Oh. Score.com? Nice, yeah. It'd be something like that, wouldn't it? What, yeah. Have you been getting through lockdown apart from Tinder then? Have you picked up any new hobbies? Um, no, I mean, I was newly single just before lockdown really kicked in, mm. which kind of left me a little bit untethered, which again isn't good for me because I'm a nightmare at the best of times. Actually being like, I haven't adhered. I'm one of them assholes that has not adhered to the rules. People that I know have been like, come around for a barbecue, come and get pissed up with us. And I've been like, yeah, okay. Um, and I had a torrid affair with uh, a married woman and that kept me pretty busy. Um, and again, that's just sort of given me a load of, uh, material to write up. Um, and that was good. And then sort of had my heart broken with that, which is always terrible isn't it? when you know you shouldn't be doing something and that you still fall for it. And that was awful. And then, yeah, sort of back to being untethered and unpredictable and in a fucking mess again. So really... I've been the same as everybody else, but I've just had a lot of things occupying my time with it. So I'm still just as messed up as everybody. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything's just fucking unusual, isn't it, at the moment? I mean, I'm, I've got to slap you down for that affair with a married woman because that's what ended my second relationship or second marriage, yeah. which my wife was fucking playing away. So I've got to give you a, a bad boy for that one. But I uh, know, I know it's terrible. I know. <clears throat> If it's there, it's there. And ultimately, you know, she's the one that's most in the wrong. Mm. And it, it, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes and that sort of thing. Like with me, the reason that my first marriage broke down was I was a dick. The reason my second marriage broke down was a difference in beliefs. She said, we yeah. can get some therapy and work things out. And I believed her. And she believed that I was too stupid to find out she was fucking another bloke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it things happen yeah i mean in this case yeah she was perfectly happy there was no it was like he's a nice bloke worked hard earned some money she had a great life she was just fucking bored i think and i'm just you know i'm that sort of bad boy try a little you know try it out i made a whole thing about you know she said to me one time that the reason she just continued fucking me was essentially her husband was so big that even after 12 years of being together it still hurts and I was like, oh, wow. Right, okay. He's like mega fat. Like, why ain't he riding him? <laughs> no, no, no. No, he's massive. And I was like, oh, fair enough. Uh, and then she went into this whole thing about, you know, the difference between sex with me and sex with him, which I've literally just written into this whole sort of five or ten minute set. Um, so, it's, you know, the set starts off with me being like, I'm banging a married woman. She's absolutely stunning. Um, I am in love with her. She's really only banging me because I've got a tiny dick in comparison to her husband's massive fucking white privileged mamba that he's got this fucking huge cock. And um, yeah, and that's like my whole set that I've got out of this. It's definitely this got a good punchline with the only reason I'm fucking you is because you've got a tiny dick. Well, yeah, I mean, that it starts off like that. In the end, it ends up with, oh, my God, and anal. I didn't even know anal could be fun, but your dick is just perfect. <laughs> like, never has your dick as perfect been such a kick in the dick. 
Yeah, what a backhanded compliment, mate. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's terrible. She sent me a video once of her and her husband together, and it is massive. She could like barely wrap her hand around it. Oh, fuck. That is gigantic. It is messed up. And it's like, got some fucking major issues, mate, because, you know, not only is she bored and, and being unfaithful to her husband, she is fucking with your head. <laughs> I know. You know, it's, I know. it's not like I, I was watching this porn video of a massive cock and it got me horny. So, here, you know, you can watch it and see what I'm into. It's like, no, this is what I could have when I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Did she, was her pet name for you, Offcut? <laughs> yeah. Weirdly enough, it's Justin. But, um... <laughs> you sure it was Justin or is it in? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of both. Um, I really had to up my foreplay game. I think that was all I could bring to the table, really. And um, yeah, you know, she was she was perfect. She was just gorgeous and filthy and everything that I needed in a woman, but married. And you know, fucked. And then the husband caught like caught like three times, like texting me and messaging me across three different platforms. I was like blocked on WhatsApp and then blocked on our work chat and blocked on a, um, uh, like blocked on Instagram and blocked on, you know, she yeah he got caught. He caught her like emailing me and stuff. So yeah, but he, so he found out. But he's just forgiven her, and she's like, I really need to give this a full proper go now, so we can't talk anymore. And I was like, right. You know, I guess it was coming, but it was a real like, and I was sat around thinking, the next woman I get with is just going to be so boring, <laughs> just in comparison, I'm like, bored out of my face. Not having to jump in and out of wardrobes. I know. And like, yeah, she was like uber filthy, used to like, yeah, spit in my face and all sorts. She just was a fucking torrid, just absolutely amazing. I take it you've then... not you've not seen the advice then that couples should wear masks during sex to prevent <laughs> the transmission of COVID if she's spitting in your fucking face. No, none of that. Did Did you see that story in the paper though? I saw um, like a headline with the pictures. I just didn't, but I don't even bother reading the news anymore. Oh, I, I I do. Like I said, it is it's the source of a lot of easy material. Like that one about the masks. It says. Sex is high risk, so that's why they recommend the masks. But masturbation is low risk. Maybe it is for the fucking boring people that write the articles. But, <laughs> you know, if I drop my binoculars, I'm likely to fall out of the tree. <laughs> and if I land on the knife in my pocket, I'm fucked. LAUGHTER <laughs> brilliant uh thank you appreciate that <laughs> so what about you what's gotten you through what's been happening so obviously you've you this new relationship was that happening before lockdown and you just managed to keep that going or was that already in full flow what's happening uh so it was kind of kind of bubbling away at the beginning but not not very much i had a message through uh on facebook just saying you know i it was really sweet actually so i've seen you at work i probably shouldn't send you this but i've had a drink i think you're the most handsome man in the building and you know i was really taken aback by that level of compliment because like, yeah that's pretty i mean how many people work in your building oh only three oh, okay. <laughs> no there's, there's you about... work in the burns unit do you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I work in a leper colony uh, no, there's there's a couple of hundred people in there, so you know that that was that was pretty good. Um, yeah, but yeah, she's she's just really sweet. Looks after me. Is very nice. 
I don't want to go into too much detail because you might well listen no, to this course. and, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I want to maintain this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it took me a lot to get used to the the way that she talks about me and how complimentary she is, especially after having like the, the second wife be uh, a whore. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. It's got to be nice. And, it, it, so- you know, it, t- it took me a long time to realise that I was getting all of this shit in the second uh, the second marriage. And the one that really tipped me off into the fact that she was basically trying to fuck with my self-esteem and manipulate my opinion of myself. Was, yeah. I was playing uh, GTA and she came in and sort of looked across in the doorway and watched me play for a little bit. And, you know, I was fleeing a five-star rating. I hit a couple of cars on the way and she just went, you're not very good at this, are you? <laughs> and I just thought, fuck you, bitch. I know I'm good at computer games. <laughs> Mate, and that, that was the a, moment that I broke out of the Matrix. That was the fatal error. You <laughs> <laughs> got me on so many things, you know, like, you're shit at singing. I'd stop singing. I used to quite enjoy singing the way to things, and she just totally crushed yeah. that out of me. She'd critique my driving all of the time, and, like, anything she could pick holes in, she did. But when she went after the video games, that's when I knew that she was full of shit. <laughs> she was just doing it with a cunt. Exactly. Yeah. I think women are better than that um, than men are. The, the the sort of the mind games and the manipulation. And I know I'm talking from a very bitter standpoint in terms of you know lots of failed relationships behind me. And I, I do or I have started to think maybe some of it's my fault, but I think mainly it's them. But they are very good at that slight manipulation or the slight comments and the little knocks in the confidence and stuff. I found the little droplets and little nuggets of spite i think women are very good at that i think the, the biggest problem with any any sort of adult relationship is when you you haven't got the confidence to talk about things because you you, you know you don't want to you don't want to upset the other person so then instead of actually saying you know the other day when you did this that upset me a little bit and i think i'd like you to say sorry you just internalize yeah. it all until the point when they put something on the table and they're coasting and you go, what are you fucking doing? And then you have a massive <laughs> argument. And so often, the, the one of the things that... Uh, it seems really obvious to me, and this is very much like a you know, first world problem sort of topic, but when, when it, it's really socially accessible for women to say shit about men and make generalizations... But if you try and do it the other way around, you get called out like straight away. Mm, and I, yeah. I started doing this joke at a gig and I got called out at that point, which really made the point for me that you will get picked up straight away if anyone thinks you're about to be misogynistic. Yeah. But the biggest one that I always used to hear, and it's one women love to say, is men can't multitask. Men can't multitask. And they will go, ha, 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 it's so true, it's so true. Well, to start off with, they've done studies and nobody can multitask. All that happens is your brain tries to switch between two things really quickly and you do both of them worse than you would do if you did them individually, like substantially worse. Yeah. But when a woman says that to you, there is a surefire comeback that will immediately end that point of the argument. It does result in a much bigger argument taking place, but it will immediately close (laughs) off that one. So the next time a woman ever says to you, men can't multitask, the response is, yes, we can. The other night when I was fucking you, I was thinking about your sister. <laughs> if she doesn't have a sister, insert friend, dog, 
goldfish, gran, whatever you like, it's going to have the same effect. Yeah, whatever's really going to labour that point home. Nice. I like it. I'm going to definitely try that one. <laughs> and So, you were talking about um, Boscombe and Bournemouth. Is that, like your, is that where you're based, around those areas? Yeah, so I, I live in Parkstone, which is kind of halfway between Poole and Bournemouth. So, you've got the lovely seaside nightclubby area of Bournemouth and then you've got the rather run down full of uh, for want of a better word Chabby Pikey's pool and I'm kind of smack bang in the middle of those two. <laughs> nice it's a nice area of the world though yeah I mean you can't fault the weather down here and it, the beach is amazing but it's one of those things it's on my doorstep and I very rarely ever go there yeah it's one of those things you get used to isn't it it is. And what's the what's the comedy like down there? Is there much happening? Yeah, I mean, I used to run a few open mics myself down here. <clears throat> I'll say a few. I had two. Um, sadly, one of the bars is closed down now. Uh, but we used to have, you know, Baku? Yeah. Yeah, Baku used to run a night down here at the place in the Triangle, which was the meet and sit, wasn't it? Yeah. Then we had... Um, I was doing Ponty for a little while. Then went to uh, flirt around the corner for a one-off because I needed a place to put on a show because I got cancelled midway through the month. Um, All right. Then I moved it over to Four Horsemen because they wanted to oh. have some comedy there. Yeah. Um, and I was doing Buffalo up on the Lansdowne, um, what's the word now? West, no, not Westover. Holdenhurst Road, <clears throat> Lansdowne in Bournemouth. Um but yeah, they they shut down permanently due to the coronavirus thing. Right. So lost them. Um, but there's another place just over the road that's interested. So waiting to see when we can get back to doing indoor live performances. Yeah, that's the dream. Yeah, I mean, I, I am missing, I'm missing it so much because a lot of the fun of it is just getting to different places as well, isn't it? Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question because. Obviously, where I am in Southampton, there was nothing happening up here. So we started the Lampoon just to get a night going up here. And we've got a couple now. Um, and obviously, Portsmouth was always quite thriving. Uh, with the guys at PM Promotions and Perry and Mike, and they've got quite a bit happening. Where has been? Where would you generally gig? Is it sort of South Coast or you go up to London and places? Um, <clears throat> I've done a couple of nights in London. But I'm, that was that was going to be my task for this year was go to more comedy nights in London and perform. Uh, I did Watson's General Telegraph, uh, and I did Sam. I want to say Sam Michael's Comedy Explosion. Okay, I don't know those. Uh, he was. I, I think I've got the name wrong, but it, Sam Rhodes. Sam Rhodes Comedy Explosion. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely fucking brilliant night, mate. He's so good. A real top class compare um and the audience were great uh i had you know quite a few people that were laughing all the way through and came up to me afterwards i love that when people come up to you afterwards and say nice one yeah as long as they don't follow with dickhead yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i did um just before lockdown i went up to oxford for uh a charity event for amnesty international so i thought oh that sounds quite grand that might be celebrities no, it was at some sort of building just down the road from the Students' Union that was a cafe. Um, <laughs> and <clears throat> I thought, on the way up, I thought, I've got to come up with some sort of local flavour joke for him. 
so uh I, I went on stage and I went yeah so it's really interesting uh being in Oxford you know it's it's lovely but I have to say I'm disappointed I think television's lied to me yet again and I've been here for three and a half hours and I haven't been involved in a single murder investigation so what the fuck Inspector Morse nice like it there wasn't much of a reception to that point and then I went and it's even more impressive when you consider the fact that I've committed five murders since I've got here. <laughs> when they didn't laugh at that one, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> I absolutely died of my you... ass at that gig. It was not my sort of audience say, at all. Yeah. Have you died on your ass much? Has there been a, like a significant wave gone? This is just fucking terrible. I think the Oxford one was the one that affected me the most sort of long term. <laughs> Um, but I had one at, at the Dolphin when I was uh, performing for Perry. And it was one of those shows where there were nine people there in the audience when you got there, eight of which were comedians and one was a mate of the comedian. Yeah. Then halfway through, four of them left because they had to get back to London. So I started off performing to five people. And then halfway through one of my jokes, 15 students walked in talking incredibly loudly talked over my entire joke punchline and everything else threw me off so much that I continued half into another joke and then went, okay, that's all I've got. <laughs> then Perry did a little bit of filler in between and he went, okay, so you've had enough of me. Let's get some more of the proper comedians up here. And some fucking prick from the students group went, you were better than that last guy. <laughs> and that really pissed me off. I pa I'd packed up all of my stuff and I was like, right, I'll see you later. Walked out. I walked out of the bar. I got literally six fucking steps outside of the bar and I realised the comeback that I should have ha had to this guy. But I thought it would be incredibly petty of me to walk back in there. So I ran back in there, went right up to the guy <laughs> and I went, do you know what? It's really nice that you wore that pink shirt today to be a visible representation of how much of a cunt you are so that we didn't even have to listen to <laughs> open your mouth. And then I walked out again. Nice. Yeah, no, I didn't nice. really do that. I, that entire fantasy took place in my head on the drive home. <laughs> I was going to say, most, most comedians, it's a very rare breed of comedian because everyone sort of looks at comedians and they handle in hecklers and shit like that. But it's a rare breed of comedian who will actually sort of be confrontational, isn't it? Yeah. There's not, there's not many. Um, and what's been your what's been your best gig? Can you recall? Yeah, I mean, I think I've got to, I've got to go a long way to beat the first one just for the sheer. Like, you know, the the whole endorphins and the hormonal reaction to coming yeah. off stage, the whole room clapping me. Um, but I think it was around February this year, I did the B-Bar in Plymouth. Okay. It's part of the Barbican Theatre. Um, and it's just like a little, a little bar they have there. And that was the first time that I'd sort of really travelled outside of my usual area because I've not, not gone over that way before. Um, and it was a nice audience, quite a packed room, and it, it was just a really nice uh, nice gig. That was the one where I had the woman heckle me at the beginning of the joke about misogyny, which, right. which I, you know, I was quite pleased with the way that I dealt with that because I didn't immediately, like, try and slap her down, but I went through, you know, you said to her, you've illustrated my point there, then went into the joke and then came out of the other side and basically went, so don't worry your pretty little head about it and then carried on into the rest of it, which then got a huge laugh in the rest of the room. Nice. Yeah. And what about, so what I always like to ask is um, when you've been on these bills, is there a particular comedian 
that has maybe made it you saw earlier and saw something in them or you see somebody now when you're on a building and you're excited because you know they're good and you think this this person could sell out bigger shows like this person's got something special is there anyone that you want to sort of call out uh yeah i think i mean from the from the local area um you know i've martin potts i've got a lot of time for he's a lovely bloke he's got some good good material um i went up to see him at one of the places in london uh he was in some sort of contest up there and it, it was quite nice went up with him i think it was one of his mates and his missus and we're walking along and uh I, I realised that the police in London don't wear high-vis jackets like they do down here. So I got about three foot away from one with the smoke going and had to pitch it away into the crowd just to make sure that I didn't get nicked on the way there. <laughs> um, I like Dan Stevens. He's a good lad. He's uh, He's got some good impressions. Um, uh, but I think one of, the, one of the best ones that I've seen is Constantine Kissing. Okay. Uh, I don't know whether you would have heard of Trigonometry. Uh, well, as in, I'm, I know what trigonometry is, but it's, no, it's, a, it, it's not the mathematical thing. It's a podcast. Uh, okay. he, he's got a, a pretty good, well-subscribed podcast on the go, and I saw him down at one of the nights in the Dolphin. Uh, I would recommend that he he is one to check out. Very, very sharp, very funny observational stuff. I think I recognise his name from some sort of weird comedy beef that's happening in some of the forums. Yeah. So I've seen a bit of this back and forth. That was one thing I was going to pick your brains about as well was these comedy forums and how they have just nosedived into squabbles and petty name calling and, and less like it couldn't be any further away from comedy itself like over this lockdown period where obviously comedians don't have the strongest mindset really. We've, we've all got these weird traits about us but it seems to have affected comedy quite or comedians quite poorly in the sense of how they're treating each other i think in a lot of these forums have you noticed that yeah i've seen i've seen the bickering going on there's been a lot around the the allegations that are due to come out have come out are coming out whatever it is about people on the circuit that are misbehaving all the sexual harassment Mm -hmm. But I don't yeah. think it's necessarily just the comedy forums that have devolved into that level of bickering and just pointless shit. Everyone, everything has got some sort of argument going on. Like, you know, the you remember Dominic Cummings' trip to Barnard Castle? Yeah. I had somebody, uh, one of my friends, uh, basically commented on that. <laughs> You're right, mate. Yeah, I'm just throwing, <laughs> throwing things in the bin onto the next can. <laughs> Couldn't be asked to mute the mic, rock and roll. Um, yeah, so one of my friends had put on, I'm, you know, I'm sick of seeing all of this nonsense. Why can't everyone just get over with it? Blah, blah, blah. Let's forget about it. And I said, well, the reason that I personally can't get over it is the fact that he hasn't apologised and there's no remorse. You can't, you can't say that we should get over the fact that he's not apologised for doing something that is clearly wrong. Yeah. And I put in... It was a respectful argument. It went into the reasons why I felt this way. It didn't call her any sort of names. And she went, her response was, Glenn, to be honest, I read to the end of the second sentence and then stopped reading. <laughs> and I went, and you, you, you are the problem with the world. It doesn't align with what you think. So you're just not fucking interested in it. You don't resort to, yeah. you know, if somebody goes, like I, I, had, uh, I had a disagreement with one of the guys from the forums on a personal thread. And it was about, you know, how how the government's done with the whole coronavirus fiasco. 
and he would say, you know, he'd make a point, and then I'd reference his point, disprove it, and then say, okay, so what do you make of that then? And then he would go, yes, well, you know, Labour have been just as bad as the Tories lately. I went, well, <laughs> you say lately, but you've referenced something from about six years ago, and also that's nothing to do with the fucking fact that they're sending people out into care homes to die. So let's get back to the point at hand. Stop changing the subject, you prick. And that's how it all is. It's not, you know, you can't disagree on a point or have a debate or look at trying altering someone's point of view. It's I'm right. My tribe is right. You are wrong. Everything you say is fake. And also, fuck you, because you're clearly a paedophile and somebody deserves to get your house and your children. And you're, I don't know, infinity gauntlet on fire. It's just that complete nuclear reaction to anybody that disagrees with them. Yeah. I I can't get on with it. No, and what I—I I mean, I'm—I think uh, when I'm arguing with somebody, if they put a reasoned argument, because I don't actually care about much to be honest. So if I'm arguing, I'm generally just like, "Oh, I think this," and somebody goes, "Don't be a dick," and I'm like, "Well, I think this because of this," and they could be like, "Yeah, but what about this?" If they could show me any evidence to the contrary, I'd be like, "No, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, consider me, you know, changed." But what people seem to be doing is just digging their heels in straight away and going, nah, fuck you, you fuck, you're completely wrong. There's no room to discuss it at all. Well, well, just don't put it on a forum then. Don't put it somewhere where people are going to contradict you. Yeah, if you don't want somebody to disagree with what you're saying, whisper it to yourself as, as <laughs> yeah. you insert the handle of that toilet brush up your ass. Yeah, exactly, which I find actually is the better way to take your mind off of the feeling of inserting that toilet brush up your ass. Yeah, but do you go handle or bristles? Uh, It depends. If it's closer to the weekend, I can get the bristles in. (laughs) just depends what I've been... (laughs) Right, that leads me into a segue, and I'm going to have to really heavily clarify this before I do it. So this leads leads me into a segue about my daughter, but not for the reason of putting a fucking toilet brush up her ass. Okay, so... (laughs) I love... I love food and Tex-Mex and spicy stuff and my little girl's pretty cool like she's nearly 11 but she's starting to get into to eating spicy food and things um so one day I was cooking some dinner and she walked into the kitchen and she went hmm smells like poppers in here (laughs) what she went you know poppers the the peppers with the cheese in the middle I went the jalapeno poppers jalapeno that word is very yeah. important. Don't you tell anybody <laughs> at school. Do you do not even dream of telling them that I'm making poppers in the kitchen. <laughs> but she's kept me on my toes since she was a kid. Like after when, because both of my children are with my first wife. Luckily, the second one got nothing in terms of, you know, biological produce out of me. So she's fucking gone and forgotten about now. Um, <laughs> but my, my little girl was about, four and a half five and she just started like primary school um and i went around to pick him up because i had him on the weekends and i walked in uh and i went you right honey how you doing and she went stranger danger stranger danger and like ran out of the room and then started laughing and again i got to go with dude never do that <laughs> yeah that is not <laughs> do you funny want to, to see me being beaten to death by the mothers at the school gates is that your goal <laughs> So good. Kids are fucking hilarious, though, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that my kids are smart kids, but I'd love to have a couple of fucking idiots. Smart kids are dangerous. <laughs> like, they can come at you with logic and reason. 
like one day we were playing um, Goat Simulator and it's this weird little game where you're a naughty goat and you go around and headbutt things and you can lick things and you basically you can end up attaching yourself to cars and fucking getting modifiers that let you drag and shout people off of mountains. It's completely <laughs> crazy. And she, <laughs> she was going, Dad, can we have this? Can we have this DLC? And I went, mm, don't know, honey, it's a fiver. You know, I'll, I'll think about it. And she went, but you're, you're really tired, aren't you, Daddy? You've told us you're tired. And if you buy us this, we'll leave you alone. <laughs> can you put a price on your sanity, Daddy? Well, it turns out you can, and it's four pounds seventy-nine. Excellent. That is. <laughs> yeah. That's a clever girl. I like it. She is. I feel a little. It's appropriate you said a clever girl. It's a little bit like bringing up a velociraptor. Yes. Nice. She came home yeah, one day and told me that she was a cult reference. leader. She said. Uh, I've started this new group at school and we're called Satan Spawn and Satan is our God. <laughs> and that was another double take moment. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I, I do. I, I, sometimes I lead into the stuff about the kids by saying that she is uh, 10 going on Satan. <laughs> but no, she's, yeah. she's good as gold. Love it a bit. It's a really good kid. <clears throat> And so, is, did you say you got the two kids? Yeah, I've got uh, uh, Amelia, who's my eldest, uh, just coming up to 11th birthday um, a week today. And Oscar, who's just had his ninth birthday. Excellent. Yeah. It's cool. They're good ages as well. They are. They are. I've got the three girls and a boy. And I get that thing now where I'm like, so, if the girls are recent, she's two. But I get the um, people going, well, at least you got your boy. You know, like we're in 1980s China. I could just get rid of all the other girls now that like, I got the boy. But that was what I was trying for. But they still say it. Like, even people are like, I bet you're glad you got your boy. Like, it makes no difference at all now, kids these days, I don't think. You don't have that sort of gender type thing, do you? I don't know how it works with you, but like my kids just do everything and anything. And the boy is as sensitive you don't bring them up like boys anymore i think is what i'm trying to say yeah it, does that make sense yeah no, i get you i mean I've, I've never had that traditional you can't do this like one of the things i'm really proud about with amelia is that she is uh very much into games um she loves playing computers and all the sort of geeky stuff that i liked as a kid she's incredibly sarcastic She's come up with a couple of brilliant little jokes of her own. Like one of one of the ones um, when I did the first gig, she told me a joke that she really loved, which was um, what do you call a cow with no legs? Go on. Ground beef. Nice. So I closed the first gig with that one, and then the one that I did, uh, the last one I did at Plymouth, she came up with another one, um, which was, "What is Michael Jackson's pros- chosen pronoun?" Go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah in, in yeah very very switched on very amusing um but like with my little boy as well he he loves dinosaurs and robots and zombies and all of that stuff but he also likes having his nails painted occasionally so that's cool i paint his nails paint her nails but, you know I'm, I'm shit at all the girly stuff but i do my best because yeah this is what you gotta do yeah yeah absolutely no, I find it. I think it's quite refreshing, isn't it? I remember. And how old are you, Glenn? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, I, I don't mind at all. And I'm happy to say that I'm still 38 for another couple of months. Excellent. Yeah, so I'm 39 on Friday. So obviously we were brought up in a similar era. And 
you were like as a boy, you were not, you know, you don't express your feelings, you don't cry. They're always like, don't be such a girl, don't cry, don't mm. be so sensitive. You still get, you know, even now I get told not to be a woman, don't be such a woman, don't be such a girl. <laughs> but you can't, like, I actively, you know, you can't do that to the kids these days, can you? Well, I, don't, I certainly don't think you can, which I think leads into, for me, I've really got to think about what I say to my son, especially uh, when he does get quite sensitive. And you can't just dismiss him now. Yeah. We sort of try and listen to him. And then you think, actually, though, he's still like, he's only six. So he's like really upset that the son's gone in or something like that. But you've got to listen to him now. You can't just like, shut up, stop being such a girl. I remember my dad saying that to me, just like, yeah, just so dismissive. It's a struggle, isn't it? You've got to try. I don't know. It's ingrained, I think. I have to actively try not to be an arsehole. I think like my dad, he didn't have to worry about it. He was just like, shut up. Don't be such a pussy. Whereas I have to really think. Do you find that's something that comes natural to you? Or you've just... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't really have it from my dad growing up. But it's certainly the message that was on... TV an awful lot in all of the the sitcoms, wasn't it? Like, ha ha, look at him, he's crying, what a girl. So even though yeah. I didn't, I, I I didn't have that pressure from mum or dad about it, it's still something that impacted with me. But I think when, when you look at it, how to deal with, well, any child crying nowadays, it's not a question of you know suppress it, forget about it. It's okay, you're upset, but let's look at what's really happened. Let's get some context in here, and to teaching them about the coping mechanisms and stuff that I only discovered through having therapy. Like right. when, when you're upset with things or you think you've done badly, don't call yourself a cunt repeatedly. That's not healthy. <laughs> like it used to be that I'd forget to do something very simple and I just go, Oh, you utter dickhead. Yeah. And it wasn't until I like talked to, uh, a therapist about that that they pointed out that that's not what most people do and you have to be kind to yourself and realize that it's natural to be emotional um it's uncomfortable but you know that is part of dealing with it so I'd, i've got some some additional things with my little boy is that he's autistic as well so when he gets frustrated he gets like really really upset and he wants to like hit himself or hit the walls yeah. and be physically demonstrative. So it's having to try and teach him that it's okay to be upset. It's okay to like, he when, when he played computer games, if he loses, like he'd run out of the room and he wouldn't come back in. He'd be sat on the stairs crying. Yeah. Because he's lost. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And it's like, yeah, you've lost. It's a game. There's always a winner. There's always a loser. It's for fun. Come on, let's come back and have another go. Yeah. No, it's important, isn't it? And it is, you know, I find that my ex used to work with uh, children with additional needs and things. And she would, she would really start to, with uh, like with the kids and stuff, she would explain things so much better to me um, that helps me to then sort of understand and sort of be better. Because otherwise, you know, there is no manual to it. It's very difficult, isn't it? To sort of think, well, what's the right thing to do here? And then, you know, a lot of my comedy comes from my childhood and things. And you, you sort of repeat. I repeat stories now about growing up. My mum used to hit me on the back of the legs with a wooden spoon, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I was naughty. Or we used to have this one. Did you have, like, the one big knife in the house, the big sharp knife? We just had the one sharp knife. I don't know if every household was like it. But I mean, my mum, 
peeling the spuds with this big, it was the big knife. And me like fucking about. And I remember she hit me with the side of the knife across the arm. And I tell people that now and they're like, Jesus Christ, that's... <laughs> yeah, horrendous. she wanted me to know that she could have got me, but she didn't. <laughs> yeah. I've let you live this time, Craig. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. People are like, that's fucking... She, that's terrible. Like, that's like proper child abuse. I'm like, wow, just how I got told off. Yeah, I, like, I didn't have the knife. I got whacked on the head with a, uh, a brush once. Um, and But mum's special was, as I got older, was if you deserved a dead arm, you got a dead arm. <laughs> but, uh, the most memorable one was I was in a flight back from Gran Canaria and uh, they, you know like back in the day when you used to get a meal and coffee and stuff on every flight yeah so it was near the end of the meal they were serving the coffees and they did um, stewardess did mum's coffee dad's coffee and then she came to me and said uh, interested in some coffee sir and I went yes please so she started pouring it as she puts it down on the tray like, literally, it's just about to touch the tray. We hit some turbulence, and she just threw the whole cup of coffee in my lap. So she goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she's, like, making it rain napkins. But, you know, air- airplane coffee is always tepid, isn't it? So I was okay, yeah. and she's throwing all these napkins at me and panicking. I go, no, 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 it's fine. Don't worry, don't worry. I like my women like my coffee, hot, wet, and all over my lap. Nice. Yeah, and then I suddenly get this massive pow to the side of the arm from mum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, physical discipline is definitely something that dropped off, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. No, absolutely not. No, I don't. You know, I wouldn't hit my children or anything like that. And then, but there's also like in my family specifically, there's we're very cutting, like to the point where people go, "Jesus, that's fucking horrible." They've just said, "Yeah." Mm. Like my mum, she said, uh, "We were like having a family barbecue." And I, my mates, I've been mates with like my sort of close friends for 30 years and they've, and they've known my family, you know, all that time. And um, I remember my mum saying, oh, I just feel bad about... So, so I said to her, you're a better nan than you ever were a mum. Like, you give the grandkids anything they ask for. You won't like that as a mum. She's like, well, I, I don't need to be like that as a nan. I was like, does it not make you feel, you know... Um, she went, I feel guilty if they ask for something. I don't get it from them. And I was like, you have to feel guilty about that. And she's like, yeah, but unlike you, I feel guilt and responsibility. I can't just walk away from it like you do. <laughs> and like, my mate was like, shit, that's dark even for your mum. And I was like, yeah, that's just, that's just how they are. And I was like, I can't imagine saying anything that nasty to my children. But it just rolls off the tongue in my family. And I think that that's a huge difference in generations now. We're going to have a different generation of Obviously, hopefully, parents, because I'm a better parent than my parents were. See, I, I always used to worry about, am I a good parent? Because, you know, everyone tends to think quite well of themselves, don't they? But, yeah, I mean, I, I really had problems with this. Like, when you, you're there and, you know, like when your kids are really fucking you about and in your head, you're yeah. just thinking you are a fucking shit cunt of a child. Yeah. And you feel really bad for having that thought, don't you? Yeah, but if you don't articulate it, it's not that bad. It's okay to think that your child is a bag of utter fucking chaos and everything that's wrong with the world. Yeah, but it still it still gnaws at me that I have those sorts of thoughts. And then you know, conversely, you'll walk along the road and you'll see a bloke pushing along a pushchair with a three year old and it's smoking a joint. 
Yeah. Now, I mean, the guy pushing the pushchair is the one smoking the joint, not the child. Although both of those, <laughs> is, it's both both are terrible. If the child was doing it, it'd be far worse. But you know, you look at that man with that stick and you think, "You are a shit parent." I'm just, you know, incompetent. <laughs> There's no malice in what. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, yeah. I think that's the best way to be. Like, I don't. I'm not malicious or horrible. I don't think I'm a good parent. I hate it when people say, "Oh, you're such a good dad." And I think, well, no, I don't. I don't want to be because I know good dads and I've seen good dads. So I think, oh, I'm not their good dads, but I don't try and be a bad dad. If that makes sense. And I think, like, even in the comedy and stuff, I don't try and say stuff that's like mean or nasty about the kids or about the exes. I've learned to sort of be actually because before like, I'd write about the exes, it was always put them down. Actually, there's not a lot of humour in that. I don't think. I think there's a lot more humour in taking a Mickey out of myself. And I think people relate a lot more when you take the mickey out of yourself rather than, you know, yeah. taking the mickey out. I mean, when, when things go wrong and people split up, it's never normally a one-way thing. Um, no, and of like, course. With, I haven't got any jokes about my kid's mum at all because, like I said, I, I fully put myself in the wrong for the fact that we ended up splitting up. I was horrible. Um, I drank too much. It was a time shortly after my mum had passed away and I was... Clearly depressed, but didn't seek any help for it and just self-medicated with booze and other shit. And every every relationship that you have changes you and shapes you and it's all it's transformative, isn't it? I mean, when I yeah, when I look back on any relationship that I've had, there's always been positives and negatives and things that you've taken from the person, things that you've given to them, and you know, you've both changed and grown. And and that a lot of people, you know, relate to that. They, they see how they have changed and how things have shaped them. And I think it's identifying, you know, how you are going into a process and how you are coming out and how you've changed your thinking. That's the sort of stuff that resonates with people by and large, isn't it? Yeah, no, I massively agree. Um, and look, I think comedy is a good way of expressing yourself as well like it's a good way of, of airing these things it's almost like um like cathartic it's almost like psych- psychotherapy you're just getting it out there and if people are like understanding and relating to it you think oh okay maybe i'm not such a head case well then if you bomb on your ass and then you're like you come off that gig thinking oh shit no i, I am a head case <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's, it's like, not normal to want to set fire to kittens yeah, yeah. There's not one person in this room who thinks it's acceptable to put cigarettes out on the children. Like, <laughs> it's so strange. I mean, <laughs> children are far more expensive than ashtrays. The cost of raising a child is monstrous. Even if you look at that, you know, breaking them down for parts, you're still never going to make a profit on it. <laughs> yeah, and also I don't know where this this. You know, it talks about like hundreds of thousands of pounds or, you know, half a million pound, whatever it is, to raise a child. And I think if I wasn't spending that money on my children, I would only spend that money on, you know, drink, drugs, women, holidays. And, you know, and I'd probably waste a little bit as well. But then, you know, I'd only spend it elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's like when like I, I gave up smoking tobacco, I was still vape um i mean part of the reason that i switched to vaping from smoking was for the kids uh, or rather because of the kids it, my mum always smoked and she smoked her entire life 
well, not your entire life because she eventually died. Um, but then, you know, we did send her up with a packet in the coffin when she went to the crematorium. So she got a last one. In. <laughs> um, but, you know, that I stopped smoking because of the kids, not because I wanted to see them grow up, but they were getting to an age where they thought I was enough of a dick that I might as well start vaping because I'm not going to go down in their estimation. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's you, you've got to try and, and, and do things that you think are right as you go in, in, into looking after your kids. Um, I've totally lost the thread of what I was saying here. That's a problem with drinking whilst you're talking. <laughs> And then, so I feel right finally, because it's been a good 75 minutes I've uh, taken up of your time now, and I appreciate it. Um, if you're happy to, can we end this podcast with the jelly baby joke? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. I'll do the, 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 a little bit of a lead up to it and in the way that I deliver it in the set, if you don't mind. No, absolutely, please. And then what I want to do, like, like on the punchline, like as it ends, I just want to stop the podcast because I want that. I want that that punchline to be the last thing that people hear. Yeah, definitely up for that. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. Um, okay, so for me, one of the greatest things about having kids is that you get to experience life through the eyes of your children. Um, like when you think about it, like kids' roundabouts are so much more fun than adult roundabouts. Uh, kids round about you get on you spin round and round and round and round and you come off and you fall over and sometimes you throw up adult roundabouts you know you pull up to them there's somebody that's driving too slow somebody's driving too fast and you've got to try and get out into the tiny little gaps onto the motorway and, oh the stress the stress but as, as as an adult you can you can have the experience of being an adult on a kid's roundabout and i've got to say you know that look of surprise on their faces <laughs> as you mount the curb at 40 miles an hour and then drop straight on top of them. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my, my adulthood has been capturing my childhood and living it again through the children. So I, I absolutely love sweets, like particularly Haribo jelly babies. So I went out one day to Macro, which is like a wholesaler. I don't know whether you guys have it over there. Um, but they sell like the big tubs of sweets. So I went in and I got, Oscar got a big sack of the jelly snakes because he loved them. Amelia got a big snack, a uh, big sack of the jelly hearts. And I got a box of Haribo jelly babies. And for me, Haribo jelly babies are the best sweet in the entire world. Bassett's jelly babies are shit. They're fat. They're fucking covered in dandruff or whatever that white stuff is. But Haribo jelly babies are the very nectar of the gods. And, I, you know, I got home and I, I opened up the tub and I started eating a few of them. And the first thing that I noticed was that they were a lot smaller than the jelly babies that you get in those like individual packs. So they weren't really jelly babies. They were really more premature jelly babies. <laughs> and then I ate a few more. And as I, as I munched through them, I started to notice that sometimes like the face didn't look quite right or like they were missing part of a leg or part of an arm. And that's when the realisation hit me that they weren't jelly babies. They weren't even premature jelly babies. They were, in fact, jelly abortions. I hope you enjoyed that from Glenn. Coming up next, I've got an interview with Steve Hilly. 
who uh, is a Maltese comedian, doing this for a long time, very funny, very intelligent, some great stories to tell. I hope you enjoy that. Thank you.